You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you're on this disciple's journey with me. This week, we've been reading the books of Hosea, Joel, and Amos, the first three books of what we call the Minor Prophets. And today we're asking the question, how can we defend our faith based on this text doing apologetics. Apologetics simply means a defense of the faith, uh, what we believe and why we believe it. And so I want to turn your attention. We're going to look really at all the books, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, but uh, and in different sections. Uh, but I want to really turn your attention to Joel chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 16. Joel chapter 2, verse 16. And there's a question that is asked, uh, or that is described that people would ask, that many are asking today uh, in in sort of a critical sense uh, towards Christianity. So look at uh, Joel chapter 2. God is speaking through Joel to his people and telling them, come back to me, repent, return to me. Uh, Listen to what it says. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God. So I want you to see the context of this passage of a people who are being told, turn back to God so that he can restore you, so that you don't become a by word among the nations, so that by your actions, people would look at you and be able to see the hand of God in your correction and not say, hey, where is their God? That God does not restore. Now, I want you to consider this because many people will indict God even today, uh, simply because they would say, well, uh, God has not taken care of justice. God has not stepped in and righted all the wrongs. So where is God? And and they throw their fist up to heaven and say, things are going on. Sin is taking place. Suffering is here in the world. So I don't believe God is, is real. And then others on the opposite side, uh, usually the same people many times, but just thinking from an opposite perspective, when God does step in and right the wrongs and provide justice, they get mad and upset and they 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 say, where is God because he let uh, this, this justice take place and he's not showing mercy or love. And usually it's because they're being uh, convicted or they have consequences for their sins. And so they, uh, they, they try to try to indict God either way based on what God has done. Well, the answer to this question, where is their God? their God, we know ultimately is going to be answered with the cross. It's it's ultimately going to be seen with Jesus on the cross. God is and forever was, forever will be on his throne. And the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. But I want you to see before the cross how Hosea and Joel specifically, and we'll see Amos tomorrow's episode, but Hosea and Joel specifically are able to show us our need for a Savior. How do we defend uh, our faith when people ask, where is their God? Where is your God? Um, why is there suffering in the world? Why uh, Why is there punishment? Uh, whatever question that is being asked, why hasn't God stepped in or 
if God did uh, is good, then why did uh, this punishment take place? Well, you need to understand a few things. First, looking back at the book of Hosea, uh, Hosea 9 verse 10 gives us a very uh, very clear picture of what happens. And so the, the statement I want to give you is this, we become what we behold. And, and that means our sin, it, when we're around sin, when we see sinful things, when we desire sinful things, it changes us. And, and look at Hosea chapter 9. Remember the context of Hosea. God is calling out to a people who has committed adultery and immorality and, and gone after idols and other nations and other peoples. And listen to Hosea 9 verse 10. It says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. But they came to Belpeor and devoted themselves to shame, and they became as detestable as that which they loved. God says, and, and, and we see this all throughout Hosea. We see it in the Psalms. We saw it played out in uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel that uh, through prophecy, uh, this story of God, how God wooed Israel. He he got them. He brought them to him, loved them, took care of them, and Israel deserted him, uh, committed adultery, uh, went the, the way of pagan nations, and God allowed them to be crushed by her foreign lovers. God allowed them to be crushed by that which they pursued and lusted after. And the truth is, uh, God says, they became as detestable as that which they loved. Now, apply that to us. We become detestable when we uh, go after things that are not godly. Now, that doesn't mean we lose salvation. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we can get off track. We, uh, we can pursue things that we shouldn't pursue, and it gets us dirty. And we need the washing of the water of the Word to cleanse us because the blood of Christ has already made us positionally righteous before God. But practically, we need that cleansing, that daily uh, confession because we become what we behold. And, and think about those things that you behold every single day, uh, wh whether it's things on your phone, things in media, uh, social media, things uh, on television, or, or, or what you listen to, who you spend time with, you will become what you behold. Uh, and and even, uh, even noticing in church circles the, 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 the Christendom, uh, you can tell when somebody's walking with Christ, and you can tell when they're walking with the world because of what they are becoming. And so we see that based on this, God has to deal with sin. We see the reality of judgment. Look at Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1, God is going to uh, say in verse 4, what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten eaten. So the reality of judgment, God says, hey, there is going to come a famine in the land. And and I've already said that this speaks um, contextually of, I believe, an actual famine because of actual locusts, but then also because of armies that will come in. And we see that later on in Joel. And I believe there's a greater double fulfillment of the day of the Lord where that will take place. But notice who it affects. It affects the elders uh, of, of Israel. It affects the drunkards 
It affects the farmers, and it affects the priests. He even cries out to the priests. Um, the priest mourn, verse 9 of chapter 1, the ministers of the Lord, the field is ruined, the land mourns. He says in verse 13, gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priest, wail, O ministers of the altar. And so there is the reality of judgment. When we realize what we have become and what we are becoming, judgment will come. But there's rescue from judgment. Notice that God provides a rescue for us on this side of the cross. Jesus is our rescue. For them, Jesus would ultimately be their rescue, but notice how God describes that for them. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 18. We see, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. Verse 27, he says, Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And then look at chapter 3, verse 2. It says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. Verse 12, let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. And then finally, verse 20, but Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for all generations. If you were to put these verses together and see the rescue from judgment, God rescues his people by his grace, for his glory, in his spirit, over all creation. By his grace, for his glory, in his spirit, over all creation. We have been rescued through Jesus Christ from the judgment of God. So there's a reality of judgment and there's a rescue for judgment. When we ask, where is their God? When people ask us, where is God? Well, he is a God of judgment, but he's also a God who rescues us. And if that's true, that we become what we behold, we can turn back to God. And this is where Hosea and Joel both speak of repentance. And notice, uh, each book is going to really show a process of repentance. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, one of my favorite passages, God actually shows a process. Uh, Hosea chapter 10, notice this verse. Uh, verse 12 says, Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. This is a progression, I I believe, of repentance. What does it look like? Well, he he says you sow and you reap, and, and in order to do that, you've got to break up the fallow ground and seek the Lord as a, a, a as a rain. So you're sowing in righteousness, you're going to reap in, in ki- the kindness of God. You break up the fallow ground, you break up that hard stony ground, and you let God's grace and mercy pour on you. There's more clarity in Hosea chapter 14. Look at Hosea chapter 14 verse 1. And he's going to use uh, there, there are three words that I want you to kind of jot down. Hosea 14, verse 1. He says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of your lips. If I were to kind of boil this down, three important words. Uh, number one, uh, how do you return to God first? You remove 
all the iniquity. You allowed the God to remove the iniquity by the power of his Holy Spirit. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Um, we, we want God to change our hearts by removing, and he did so through his son, Jesus Christ, who was the propitiation of our sins. And then he says, and receive us graciously. So, so in that idea of God receiving us, we, we also receive him. So we remove, we, we have our sins removed, and we receive the love, the kindness, the robe of righteousness on us. This is how we break up that fallow ground, sow and reap in righteousness, reap in kindness. And then he says that we may present the fruit of our lips. What does that look like? That we may be restored to you. And, and so when God removes our sin, when we receive his righteousness, we are restored before him. Joel says the exact same thing. Look at Joel chapter 2 uh, and, and notice verse 12. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. What does God tell us there? Return to him. Okay. How do we return? Again, Hosea, remove, receive, be restored. Return to him. Rend your hearts, not just your garments. Don't let it be fake. Don't let it just be outward activity without inward transformation. Rend your heart. And then he says, be restored. That's how restoration takes place. And so I want to remind you, for Hosea, for Joel, that in these passages, when people say, where is your God? Our God is where he always has been. He is the one who is watching over us, providing for us, calling us home to him. And he gave us a way to do that in his son, Jesus Christ. I love these minor prophets because they're not just words of warning. They are words of grace for us. They point to Jesus Christ who lived, died, was buried, rose again so that we might be saved. As we close out this episode uh, today, I want to give you a ministry moment and highlight a very specific ministry. Uh, this past Sunday was the final Sunday uh, of, a, of a great friend of mine, uh, a mentor in the faith to me uh, when, when I was in Wayne County and growing up, uh, Brother Dewan Wally uh, and his church, Bridgeway Church. Uh, this was Dewan's last Sunday as the senior pastor. He planted the church. He's the founding pastor. Been there 21 years, Bridgeway Church. Uh, it was a huge influence in my life. Uh, his son, Adam, uh, is now stepping into the role as senior pastor, succeeding uh, in, in the succession uh, of, of his father. And Adam was my best friend in uh, in Wayne County. We uh, went to college together. Then uh, we, we actually served together at, at Big Creek. And uh, and uh, he was there when, when my girls were born. Uh, I, I love him. I love his, his ministry. And I can't think of a, a greater man of God to take over, uh, especially for his dad. And the service was just such a beautiful service last Sunday uh, where his dad actually preaching Elijah and Elisha. He actually presented this, this uh, prayer shawl as a mantle over his son, Adam. And, and so I wanted to take a moment just to uh, uh, just to share with you, be praying for Bridgeway Church. Uh, Brother Adam will will preach his first sermon this coming Sunday uh, as senior pastor. And so, uh, Adam, if you're listening, I love you, brother. Uh, brother Dwan, I love you and appreciate your ministry so so much. Hey, I'm praying for you. I love you. Stakes in the ground.